1: Bring in show music,
2: please. I'm CNBC producer Zach Velisi. today on Squawk Pod. Fed chair Jay Powell testifies to Congress hinting the economy is still running hot, which might lead to more rate hikes.
3: All right, it's going to be a hard landing. There's going to be a recession.
1: We've predicted
3: so many times and they don't come. We want one to come? I don't want one to come.
2: Where Congress stands and how Democrats plan to fix the economy. House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries.
1: What we don't want is the Fed to trigger a recession.
2: The Democratic leader discusses the hot economy and his strategy to tackle high prices across the country.
1: So there is a balance that needs to be struck here in trying to tame uh, inflationary pressures that have impacted the economy.
2: It's Wednesday, March 8, 2023. Squawk Pod begins right now.
1: Stand by in three,
2: two, one. Cue, please.
4: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We're live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is off today. OK, let's take a look at things. New day, new beginning. And totally believe obs- it or not.
2: Obsessed with this whole story. There we, are some green arrows yeah. here. First up today on the podcast, it's all about the Fed again.
3: This hearing will come to order. Welcome, Chair Powell. Thank you for Uh, Doing your duty and seeming to enjoy it when you come to our
2: committee, thank you. Federal Reserve Chair Jay Powell spoke in his first of two days of congressional testimony, warning the Senate Banking Committee that the Fed could consider speeding up the pace of interest rate hikes due to data showing that inflation is still sticky. Price increases are still increasing. As I mentioned, the latest economic data have come in stronger than expected, which suggests that the ultimate level of interest rates is likely to be higher than previously anticipated. If the totality of the data were to indicate that faster tightening is warranted, we'd be prepared to increase the pace of rate hikes. The implication for higher interest rates? The peak or terminal rate of the benchmark Fed funds rate is probably going to be higher than what Fed officials have been saying they were going to be over the last year of eight rate hikes in late 2022. That was pegged to top around 5.1%. Powell's comments indicate that there's more room to run. I think that the the data we've seen so far, and we still have other data to see, we still have significant data to see before the meeting, suggests that that the the ultimate rate that we write down may well be higher than what we wrote down in December. Tighter monetary policy could slow down a growing economy. The commentary moves stocks lower and push Treasury yields higher on Wall Street. Investors are poised for more data like this Friday's monthly release of the Employment Report, to judge whether the Fed's aggressive policy is doing enough to tamp down inflation without running the economy off the road. Let's get back to Joe and Becky.
4: But Joe, the spread on the two-year and the 10-year, this was the big deal. You're talking about 105 basis points yesterday. That's the highest we've seen the steepest inversion since 1981. Back then, it was 111 basis points, and that was back, I think, in September of 1981. Uh, right. Yeah,
3: 1981. It's like the, the more you raise short rates, the more effect it has on the economy, which makes you think that Here eventually- comes. Here comes the recession. Right, yeah. that eventually that's it's the long Not always, long right, rates but this down. is the
4: steepest we've seen since 81, and that's at more than 40 years, 42 years ago, you know? It's
3: going to testify some more, too, yes. right?
4: And then we'll we'll
3: talk, because I got so many things. A lot of things to think through. Chair
4: Powell is going to be testifying before the House Financial Services Committee today. Remember, yesterday was the Senate. So
3: many things to think about. Maybe Mester was right, because now he's kind of saying maybe we should have gone 50. And I understand we always said, you know, if you're going to take penicillin, you don't take, you know, keep taking quarter doses if you've got something. So get there faster. I thought... And I would defend them saying, you don't want to get there faster because you're waiting for data to come in and you don't want to do not want it too quickly. You don't want to do don't know, overreach. Want to overreach. Yeah. The other thing that I immediately thought of was, okay, does he, how much does he know about Friday?
4: Not, uh, if you believe him, he was, he was interviewed, I think, at the Washington Economic Club recently. And I think if you believe what he said there, is sometimes he may find out a few hours in advance. He does not know at this point. What does so, he
3: know dribs and drabs about next week's PPI and CPI.
4: No more than people who are Dribs watching. and drabs,
3: maybe? Quickly. There must be something that you well, know you week probably, by week. You
4: probably read in, and, and not to mention they have a lot of different companies that talk to all of the different fed heads, uh, the different um, yeah. regional banks. Uh, so they know those things. They know more than we do just because they but, have more But Okay,
3: but what he's saying now is based on what we what we what know what we already know yeah. okay so that's kind of that's something to take so into is there account
4: potential hope for over what we see like with maybe the it won't Friday, be as bad we maybe we week?
3: shouldn't assume that it's going to be really bad Now you, you gotta and we know we, we've heard i don't think that he deliberately would try to knock the stock market down but we have heard people say look you don't that like it when it, it get because it's part of the it's inflationary it's part it's inflationary and it makes people feel good makes people feel like they have more money because they're working on that they're not disappointed, I think, sometimes when it recalibrates. And if you look at it, here we are back to around 4,000 on the S&P. Just so under, he's doing it. Yeah, under it again. And the Dow is, is down for the year, but, but just barely. So they're doing a pretty good job of threading the needle where you don't want to cause, you know, you don't want to have October lows revisited if you then, but you don't want things getting out of hand. So, I mean, it, all in all, it looks like they're trying to walk the fine line to a, to a soft landing. The Journal today uh, has, has a great piece really saying, keep it up. Keep it up, Jay Powell. This is your job. Keep it up. And they point out once again, and they're driving home, they'll point to me. Maybe I'll finally be a, a convert. That it's, It really is a service side, and that's different this time. Housing is going to be a mess. I don't think you're seeing input costs, necessarily. Uh, commodity prices aren't the problem. Yeah, it really, labor is, prices, it labor really prices. is people going out, people going to restaurants, people flying on planes, pe- needing uh, to hire people and pay them more to service all these people that, that, that want to go out and do these things after, after the pandemic. So it's pandemic-related. But now maybe I'm going to be, become a believer that this really is an issue with service. Because when you get uh, the wage price, where, where people keep asking for more money with wages, that's when That's it, can it gets a spiral. spiral.
4: Right. And now, now I'll, I'll sl- slightly take the other side of that. If it really is services and really is people thinking, I, I want to go out, I want to get all these things. If they run out of excess cash, like a lot of bankers have told us they will probably by this summer, right. that could solve part of the problem itself. Uh, but I don't think the F- Fed can be complacent in the meantime. Uh, it, it, the expectations at this point are that they will see potentially 50 basis points. When they meet next month or later this month, do you month, think
3: 397 is re- on the 10-year really reflects 600 points down on the Dow? That still isn't. But then again, we just talked about it. They go the short, the but short, the the inversion, short-term, the inversion, they have to does.
4: raise rates. It means they're going to have to do an about-face at
3: some point. The, if it gets to 150 basis point inversion, is that just a a, a hard landing? Is
4: When's the last time it ever... I
3: it don't ever know if it that? ever got that high, but we're over 100 now. Yeah,
4: 100. Well, that is, is that saying this is going to yeah.
3: be a hard... Is that saying, all right, it's going to be a hard landing. There's going to be a recession. Because there isn't one now, that's for sure. And I, we've predicted so many times and they don't come. Do we want one to come? I don't want one to come.
4: Well, you want a, a shallow one to come if it means that it gets us back to equilibrium, right? Uh, there, you, you don't want to see things get too far out of line in any right. sort of situation. And, it, it, and, and that means keeping things in a lane.
3: It's a Sophie's choice for, for people that are affected most. We're, you know, we're probably. But we're
4: back in a position where you're going to be rooting for bad numbers for the jobs report,
3: which right. is crazy. You don't want unemployment back to five or six percent. But you don't Correct. want people unable to keep up with rising prices. With the You don't with want the their
4: wage increases to be less than. You don't want their standard of living to go down, essentially.
3: Well, Starbucks doesn't help with the price they charge for coffee. But uh, that's my Segue. Starbucks interim CEO Howard. Ch- I mean, in, in, in tough times, you don't pay five dollars for a cup of coffee.
2: No.
3: <laughs> Starbucks uh, interim, and you don't need olive oil like on top. And what was it? Golden foam. <laughs> golden. The it's like some kind, no. That you were I out. That. I did. Golden that. foam. Were you? You weren't out there. Yes. You're lying. Go, swear to God.
4: Who's doing golden foam? Starbucks. No
3: olive oil coffee olive oil infused coffee that gives it a golden foam and it it was like a weird thing Oh, it's
4: not actual gold? It's not like gold? No,
3: no, no, it's just a... Oh, they
4: take the beans and they put olive oil on?
3: No, they put olive oil oil infused coffee Okay, do you remember... It sounds gross you remember? That was a big thing when you were out,
4: I didn't know you were, I forgot I I didn't know about that, but did you you remember probably ten years ago, eight years ago maybe when we were at S.M.Y. still over by 30 Rock the whole thing was butter in your coffee, like that crazy. Was it? Yeah, do you remember that? No, was like but that's this is similar,
3: and this has got health benefits. I mean, it was a big rollout. Uh, that,
4: that was the same thing, it was and butter in your Chol- instead
3: Howard of our Howard Schultz, we almost sent someone over, I think it was introduced over in Europe, but we almost sent some, someone over to be there when they were introducing be. this whole new thing, which is going to be. be a big nope. It's like, it's like, so does 2. that? 0. Do
4: you use that as a counter?
3: It's a. Of, it has health benefits. No,
4: but do you use that as a counter trend of where we're headed to the point where you know when people started putting gold flakes on their sun? No, it's not. It's olive steaks, oil. No, I know, but it I'm just not say, It's just like a sign of excess. Right. A sign of excess that. Uh, it's it makes more expensive, you worry that I think, and oh, coming. the
3: calories. Another 160 calories in your. It adds coffee. 160 adds calories. Adds 160 calories to the what? coffee. What? But it's healthy, and it makes it. Both but stop. But no they're thanks. the right type of fat. It's the right type of. Uh, it's calories. In, at the time, I said if the if, if barista serves me coffee with a golden foam on it, I'm sending it back. I, I do not. <laughs> it's just me. I don't want golden foam on my coffee. How, don't
4: worry. Me, it's just olive oil. It's Joe.
3: just olive oil. Go I know. Go ahead. Drink right. up. Does, yeah. uh, Starbucks interim <laughs> CEO Howard Schultz has agreed to testify in don't a don't eat yellow snow. Don't eat yellow. Don't eat. Don't drink yellow coffee. Uh, in a Senate hearing about its response to union votes, that decision came. Look it up because you missed. I'm you were out to. that week, and it was a um, long. Yeah, Starbucks big intro. It came as comi- a not committee. Not as big as this intro. Yeah, as a committee. This took forever. As a committee chaired by Senator Bernie Sanders was scheduled to vote on whether to subpoena Schultz, who had previously declined a request to appear. Get my facts straight on the coffee and um, on the calories and stuff. In a statement, Starbucks said that uh, through the agreement reached today, our testimony will seek to foster a better understanding of our partner-first culture and priorities. Data from the NLRB shows that uh, 290 Starbucks locations have voted to unionize, but none of the stores have agreed to a contract uh, with Starbucks yet.
4: Olito beverages, you know what that reminds me of?
3: Yeah, Alestra. I know. <laughs> I know <laughs> Alestra. That where, is there anyone make use Alestra anymore?
4: Uh no, I don't think so. It got it got too much bad PR from the anal leakage that it supposed I wasn't going to say that again,
3: but that <laughs> was uh that is exactly what uh yeah, that it said hit this
4: Olito. I want to come up with right. a different name.
3: It's a good fat substitute, but here's what can happen. When you read that, it's like <laughs>
4: It was only at very high dosages, but they had to. But put when it on you the
3: went packaging. in, when that subordinate went in and said, "Hey, I got a great <laughs> idea. I've got this compound, boss. That that is much lower fat," and the guy goes, "Wow, that sounds too good to be true." Well, <laughs> let's go with it. Coming up, uh, Olito
4: shaken, Olito golden foam cold brew. Golden foam. I mean, it looks pretty good. I'm looking at the picture. It's not really golden. It looks.
3: What's the drink term, it? golden foam?
4: Oh, there it is. I, it looks pretty good. When you said golden foam, foam. I I think of Golden snow, snow,
2: (laughs) I know. (laughs) Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, Democratic House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries on the state of the economy and the fight against record inflation.
1: The facts are clear. We have emerged in a stronger position. That's not fantasy. That's not fiction. That is fact.
2: This is Squawk Pod.
4: Good morning, welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is off today. President Biden is set to unveil his 2024 budget proposal tomorrow. Topping the list, tax increases on high income Americans, cutting the deficit and extending the life of Medicare again by raising taxes. Joining us right now for more on this is House Democratic Leader New York Congressman Hakeem Jeffries. And Mr. Leader, it's very good to have you here. We appreciate it. Um, How are you doing today?
1: Good. Good morning. Great to be with you.
4: All right. Let's talk a little bit about the budget because this is uh, the lead story in The New York Times and a lot of other newspapers this morning. People are looking at this, wondering what to expect, and already we're getting some pretty big details. We've been talking this morning about Medicare in particular, shoring that system up, but doing it by raising taxes. I want to wonder if you'll weigh in on that, first of all. Well,
1: it's my expectation that President Biden's budget is going to invest in the future sustainability of Medicare and Social Security, invest in education and job training, invest in research and development, invest in transportation and infrastructure, invest in technology and innovation, uh, invest in the creation and preservation of affordable housing, uh, and overall just invest in the health, the safety, and the economic well-being of the American people as part of his wonderful effort to build an economy from the middle out and the ground up.
4: One of our reporters dug into what some of those increases will mean and what it will mean for New Yorkers in your district and was just pointing out that with these proposed tax increases, if they were to go through including that Medicare tax is going to 5% from 3.8% 3, 3. and the cap being lifted, it will mean that New Yorkers who are making $400,000 or more could be facing a tax rate of 59.6% when you add up the state and local taxes. Do you worry about that, just your own constituents?
1: Here's what I worry about. The overwhelming majority of the people that I represent in the 8th Congressional District, just like the overwhelming majority of the American people, uh, will not experience a very, very modest tax increase in order to extend out the future of Medicare. Right now, according to the Congressional Budget Office, uh, the Medicare Trust Fund uh, is slated to be insolvent by the year 2033. And so President Biden is taking a very responsible step to try to extend it out to 2050 uh, in order to make sure that tens of millions of Americans can retire with grace and dignity, folks who have paid into Medicare throughout their entire lives and have an expectation that it will be there for them in their golden years.
4: No question that Medicare is a very important program and that it needs to be shored up. I guess. The bigger issue is what happens because this is already being declared dead on arrival. It's not going to pass in the House. So what do you do? What kind of compromises do you look for? How do you think there is something? Do you find any common ground? What are you thinking so far?
1: Well, we always want to find common ground whenever and wherever possible. But in order for that to happen, the Republicans actually need to show us their plan. Uh, Unfortunately, What we have right now is a situation where President Biden has been very clear. He's gonna release his budget tomorrow. It will be in the public domain. The American people will have an opportunity to fully review it. The Congress can debate it. Uh, But right now, we haven't seen a plan from House Republicans. In the past, their plan has been to dramatically cut taxes for the wealthy, the well-off, and the well-connected, often unpaid for. Unfortunately, that was the reality in 2017 and it has not delivered the benefits for the overwhelming majority of Americans that had been promised. We've seen budget plans in the past that have sought to repeal the Affordable Care Act, that have sought to undermine Social Security and Medicare. And what we're saying is for us to have a reasonable debate, a transparent debate, then House Republicans need to show the American people their plan.
3: Uh, we had, uh, it's great to have you on, Leader Jeffers. I begged, uh, uh the, the speaker to to talk to you and uh and and uh he was funny yeah, he goes when when Hakeem is on just tell him remind him that he had 100% of his caucus voted for him too so just you know just, just don't rest on all when your when he was the minority <laughs> when either. he was minority <laughs> yeah. he goes tell him that and then look what happened a couple years later uh anyway um, we just had judge Gregg, former senator uh, former governor of New Hampshire he worries about uh it this is essentially drug pricing uh, and, and that that will hurt innovation coming out of the pandemic where we saw how the innovation of the U.S. pharmaceutical industry really did. Uh, maybe it's overstating. to say they, they they saved us collectively. Uh, but certainly we developed that vaccine uh, very effectively and very quickly. Do you think that are you for drug pricing? Don't you think that that hurts innovation and that these companies need capital? to deal with Alzheimer's and all these these, uh, diseases that that are gonna get worse and worse as the population ages?
1: I think Big Pharma has done incredibly well uh, in terms of profitability. And there were partnerships that were facilitated uh, by the U.S. government during uh, moments of crisis, including the pandemic. Uh, But there were investments that were made in research and development over decades paid for by the taxpayers that have put us into a position uh, where some advancements can be made by entities within uh, the pharmaceutical industry. Now, here's what I'm for, here's what Democrats are for. We are for the American people paying $35 per month for things like insulin, as opposed to approximately $4,000 per year for a drug that has been in existence since about 1922. Where there's no additional research or investment or innovation that needs to be made, and no reason that the American people were paying thousands and thousands of dollars. So we have to strike the right balance uh, and build upon what has been put into law, including giving Medicare the ability to negotiate lower drug prices on behalf of the American people. That is a basic principle in capitalism, which means you get to use your bulk price purchasing power to negotiate lower prices. Walmart does it. Target does it. Best Buy does it. The American people should have the ability to do it as well.
3: The uh, the other thing that Senator Gray w- was pointing out was for decades, uh, the Social Security, Medicare have been the third rail. And, and you say Republicans don't, you know, don't have a plan. And, and whenever they talk about even broach the idea of trying to uh, make these both of these programs, Social Security and Medicare, more solvent, you immediately, or many Democrats, President Biden, go to the, you know, you want to cut people's Social Security. Republicans want to cut people's Medicare. There needs probably to be a more, not only bipartisan, but a more fundamental change in some of the the provisions that we have to to really make it solvent, to to really make it work. And we never get that. We never get a bipartisan effort. You you say you want to be bipartisan, and, and actually... Uh, Leader McCarthy, or I'm sorry, Speaker McCarthy was saying that he's worked with you on China, worked with you on, on other things. He was, he was kind of checking off all the bipartisan things. Why not both sides approach this as adults and try to work something out that really preserves these programs instead of
1: what sometimes looks like a demagoguery? Well, Speaker McCarthy and I have worked well together for the good of the institution. Uh, and I look forward to continuing to have forward-looking conversations to try to do what is in the best interest of the American people uh, in partnership, whenever and wherever possible. There will be times, as Speaker McCarthy has indicated, that we will strongly disagree, perhaps around the future of Social Security and Medicare. My overall point is that for us to have a reasonable conversation to try to find common ground, then the Republicans need to show us their plan. President Biden is going to do that tomorrow. It will be in the public domain, Uh, but we believe in a well-regulated, market-based economy that has been a tremendous engine of growth and prosperity, helped to build the greatest American middle class, greatest middle class, I should say, in the history of the world, and now we have to make sure that we preserve that. Part of it is a strong social safety net anchored in things like Social Security and Medicare. And so that is going to be a big part of President Biden's budget. We can have a discussion about how to make that sustainable, but we need to see a Republican plan. And many people are reasonably concerned that the reason why we don't see a plan is because it's too extreme for the American people to absorb.
4: Congressman Jeffries, as you mentioned, we'll get this budget tomorrow. We're going to hear a lot more about this. Maybe we should talk a little bit more about the economy, though, because that's what we focus on and what we've been hearing. Um, yesterday, we did hear from from the, the The Fed head, Jay Powell, speaking before the Senate where he was talking about how the Fed's very likely going to have to raise rates higher and faster than people had been anticipating. You you know the pain that that does put on people everywhere. Um, Inflation's a horrible problem, needs to be figured out, but if we are talking about raising rates, increasing borrowing costs for Americans, for businesses. Trying to do that while inflation's higher and the concern that that could cause an economic downturn. What, what do you think just in terms of what you're watching with the Fed, what your concerns are about the economy?
1: Well, let's think about where we've been and where we are now. Uh, when the American Rescue Plan was passed under the leadership of President Biden, Speaker Pelosi, Leader Schumer, Democrats in the House and the Senate, we were able to rescue uh, the economy and save it from a deep recession set us on a path, shots in arms, money in pockets, kids back in school, to emerge with an economy that's stronger post-pandemic than any other economy in the Western world. Yes, there are challenges that need to be met around inflation. However, when you take a step back and look at the economy, more than 12 million good-paying jobs created during President Biden's first two years in office. That's a record. Unemployment at around 3.5%. A record 50 year low. More small businesses have been created over the last two years than in any other time in American history. That's extraordinary. And on top of all that, the deficit has been reduced during President Biden's first two years by $1.7 trillion. More needs to be done. We recognize that. President Biden is going to lead with building an economy from the middle out and the ground up as opposed to the top down to make sure we continue to build upon the great American middle class. That's good for everyone. That's good for democracy. It's good for the wealthiest amongst us and it's good for America.
3: Leader Jeffries, uh, we had uh, Patrick McHenry on earlier and, and we said, you know, uh, we have, um, you know, Leader Jeffries coming on. What would you like, uh, what would you say when, I, we had a pretty good idea. You'd talk about the, uh, the jobs that you say were created the deficit being reduced, in uh, the messaging from the Biden administration. Uh, here's what uh, he came up with, and you can respond in a second. This is like an adult showing at a li- showing up at a little league game and saying that the- they can crush them, right? When we're coming off the pandemic and federal closures of the economy, and you're saying, "Wow, we created new jobs." I mean, come on, give me a break. Uh, when you say we went from record deficits when the economy is shut down. I mean, give me a break. So some of these things are, are just cherry-picked, the same political tripe that we always get out of politics in, in Washington. And people people are sick of this. The fact is we have an inflation problem and an economic challenge. That's, uh, we hear it from both sides all the time. Uh, Leader, what, what do you make of what uh, he said? I mean, it, you do reopen the economy. created, we finally got back to where jobs were, but... I think it's a little strange call created when you reopen an economy and the the jobs that were lost come back.
1: The reality is when you look at where the American economy is compared to any other developed economy in the world, the facts are clear. We have emerged in a stronger position. That's not fantasy. That's not fiction. That is fact. And the reality is when you look at what Democratic presidential administrations have been able to do consistently over time, on issues like fiscal responsibility and job creation. Tens of millions of jobs were created collectively during the presidencies of Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, and now, of course, President Joe Biden, while at the same time engaging in very fiscally responsible behavior. President Clinton inherited a deficit and turned that into a surplus. Barack Obama inherited unpaid-for tax cuts two failed wars and an economy in deep recession and wound up reducing the deficit by a trillion dollars. And I've already cited the Biden economic record. This is the result of our policies that lean in and create the best possible economy for the greatest number of Americans.
4: Leader Jeffries, let me just ask you about some breaking news that just came out. Uh, ADP jobs report came out, and that number was stronger than expected for the month of February. It was a gain of 242,000. The street was only looking for $205,000. And and this is one of those good news, maybe bad news scenarios. It's great to hear the strong economy. It's great to hear jobs are being created. But it does raise the prospect that the Fed is going to raise rates even higher in an attempt to try and break inflation and bring down the economy. Do you worry that the Fed is going to do too much, bring rates too high, and cause the economy to come in and fall into a recession?
1: It's a very reasonable concern uh, because what we don't want is the Fed to trigger A recession and then set us back. So there is a balance that needs to be struck here in trying to tame uh, inflationary pressures that have impacted the economy. I know year over year, over the last six months, inflation is down, but there are still concerns that it is ticking upward in the wrong direction. Those are reasonable concerns to be addressed uh, in terms of monetary policy, uh, but we don't want to go too far in triggering a recession. We'll see what the Fed does and I'll be have I'll be in a position to be able to comment uh, more intelligently thereafter.
3: The the inflation that we do see, um, leader, we, I think, and I don't want to uh, relitigate, you know, Trump and, and what you call the tax cuts or, or Republicans. But so eight trillion added to the deficit during during the Trump years, four of them, another eight trillion added in the first two years uh, uh, of President Biden's administration. That's sixteen trillion puts us at 32 trillion and many people say that that's why inflation is is so high for, at 40 year highs or, you know since the 80s and it, and it does hurt low income people more than, than the rest and it there's a reason the Fed is willing basically to raise unemployment just to get inflation under under control do you, do you at least concede that some of the inflation is because we overspent Uh, both the the prior administration and the current administration to get the $32 trillion in terms of of debt?
1: Well, let's understand one thing in terms of the debt uh, situation that we find ourselves in. And by the way, we're going to have to raise the debt ceiling, do it responsibly. It was done three times without fanfare under the prior administration. And it should be done in this particular instance to avoid a catastrophic default that will hurt the economy, undermine the U.S. dollar's uh, presence uh, as the world's reserve currency uh, and really hurt small businesses and everyday Americans. Uh, But, yes, it's reasonable for us to have a conversation moving forward about how do we continue to reduce the deficit and bring our debt into a better situation. That's what President Biden has been able to do. That's what I believe he will continue to do. And we look forward to having that discussion with our Republican colleagues. But they have to present us their plan in order for us to have a legitimate debate.
4: Leader Jeffries, thank you very much. Again, Leader Jeffries is the minority leader in Congress, and we appreciate your time today, sir.
1: Thank you. Next
2: on Squawk Pod, Warren Buffett's major move, increasing his stake in oil producer Occidental Petroleum. The CEO appearing on Squawk Box earlier this week
0: left an impression.
4: He said that he bought all of those shares after listening to her conference call.
0: I thought the same thing, great minds.
2: Here's Becky.
4: Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway has added to its largest stake in Occidental Petroleum. A regulatory filing last night showed Berkshire bought nearly 5.8 million shares of Oxy and a few trades on Friday, Monday and Tuesday. Those purchases, worth more than $350 million, marked the first time since September that Berkshire added to its stake. It now owns uh, 200.2 million shares, worth $12.2 billion as of yesterday's close. Berkshire also owns $10 billion of Occidental preferred stock and has warrants to buy another $5 billion worth of those shares. On Squawk Box on Monday, Occidental CEO Vicki Holub told Brian Sullivan that she met with Buffett a few days ago at that point and said that she spoke about the technology involved in the oil and gas industry. Of course, they've also recently come off of earnings, too. Um, but it's something to watch.
3: I loved listening to her with, with Brian Sullivan. I didn't say this. It. It. She, she she's awesome. She
4: knows her stuff inside out. She does. And knows the technicals of the business. And
3: when you ask her some of the really sort of out there, sort of woke questions, she's like, <laughs> just like she's like, you know, I'm not even going to, not even going to address. I mean, we need Buffett, too. We need this stuff. We need it. Keep, please, keep doing it. If you like, you know, living in like the 21st century instead of the 19th century, There are certain things we need to, because we're not ready. You're going to have blackouts. You're going to have people in that really can't. In in less developed countries, if we go hardcore, they're gonna. It's going to be rough. Going to be rough for a lot of places.
4: What I like about Vicky is she understands the technicals of that business inside out. She has yeah. done every single one of those jobs. You could talk to her about the most obscure sort of part of the she business. She was pretty she blunt
3: at. too and didn't really mince words. No, I, I was doesn't, impressed with her. Yeah. 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 I, I, Warren is too. It's one of the biggest holdings, right? Huh?
4: Yeah. 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 Yeah, it is.
2: And that's the pod for today. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow.
0: We
1: are clear. Thanks, guys. Thank you guys so much.